when you resist by the power of the Holy Spirit the ultimate bully the Diabolos the Bible says this that when we resist him he will flee Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you this morning with a desperation, a longing to know You more intimately, a hunger, a thirst, that as we pursue Your righteousness, that we will forever be satisfied. So, Father, I pray right now that in the midst of this gathering, that that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would move and stir in this place, that we would leave here, not how we arrived, but we would leave here more like Jesus. And so, as we gather, as we assemble around this glorious book, the Bible, As we open the pages, we mind the truths of Scripture. God, may we see You. May we see You in the Scriptures today. Because God, if we get to You, we have everything. So, Father, we pray that You would move and stir. We ask that You would remove any darkness, any schemes of the enemy. We pray all there would be is Your light that would rule and reign. We pray that the darkness would run for cover at the name of King Jesus. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this all in the glorious name of the risen Savior Himself, Jesus Christ, do we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 as we are journeying through this great epistle. And today we're in verses 8 through 9, so I invite you to open your Bible and have your notes ready as the Holy Spirit speaks that you would listen acutely to His promptings. The title of the message today is Resisting the Adversary. Resisting the adversary. We're going to see very clearly from God's Word that 
we have an adversary. For you that have truly given your life to Christ, and we say this often, but my prayer always each time we gather is that each person that is here has truly given their life to Jesus. There's that surrender. There's that true belief in Him that is just not intellectual, but the intellectual belief has also moved to an emotional response, but yet we don't stop there because we know very clearly from God's Word, His truth, that that we can believe intellectually, we can respond emotionally, and now all we've done is what the demons do. Because even the demons believe and tremble. True salvation, and this is where the American church has gone off the rails, is true salvation is you intellectually believe it, you emotionally are stirred by it, and then there's an act of the will that comes into that life as the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth, the blinders are removed, you give your life to Jesus, and your life is no longer your own. That's biblical salvation. And yet in the midst of all of that, do you think the enemy Satan's going to look at you for you that have done that, perhaps are going to do that today or soon, by the sovereign drawing of God, do you think Satan's going to look and go, hey, you know what, this is a great idea? Why don't I help you get the door? No, we're going to see something different from the text today. And I want us to back up for a moment and read 5 through 7, because it's going to give us a springboard for 8 through 9. So here's what First Peter from last week, 5 through 7 of chapter 5 says, ESV translation, God's holy word, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders that presbyteros, elders, pastors, clothe yourselves, put on that apron, tie it in a knot, be ready to serve all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes, for God is going to war against, for God is unleashing His wrath on the proud. But He gives grace, unmerited favor to those that forget about themselves that are humble. Humble yourselves, He doubles down, therefore under joyful submission the mighty hand of God, so that, there's the why, so that at the proper time, not our time, but in His time, which is never early, it's never late, it's always right on time, that He may exalt you. And then not a new sentence, but an add-on thought, verse 7, casting, heaving, heaving all of your anxieties on Him. Why? Why? because He cares for you. Now, pause there for a moment as we launch into verse 8. You've got to tie these, these verses together in the original writings. As you know, that there weren't chapters and verses, flowing thought, and sometimes we do ourselves a disservice as we break things apart and we don't see the continuity. And you're going to see continuity here, church, today, that He's saying this thought of anxiety, and you've got to remember what's going on in their world. 
it's this band of believers that Peter's writing to, and he's saying, look, I know you're hurting, I know you're suffering, you're being persecuted for the cause of the gospel. You're standing on the precipice, if you will. You're standing in the gap that the gospel might be advanced, and you're hurting, you're suffering, and that can surely make someone anxious, amen? That's what he's saying, don't bend. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what Paul told Timothy. And he's saying here in Peter, interesting, he's now, again, Peter's the one who, (laughs) I'll never deny you, Jesus. And yet once, twice, three times, in the midst of that pain that, that Jesus says, Peter on you, the Petros. I'm going to build my church. You talk about the grace of God. Someone once said very truthfully that humility can survive only in the presence of God. Take that thought because we must be on guard, church. We all have to be on guard against being impatient with God during our suffering. When you're suffering, do you ever look at God and go, God, you you know, I I just think you're way out in front of me on this thing, and I think that you've just took away my suffering way too soon. Uh, I'm not praying those prayers. It's more of a... God, help me, right? God, God well, where are you at? I got, a, I got a dial tone here. Like, what, what's going on? I'm not hearing clearly. And then he says these words, be sober-minded. So continuing thought, verse 8. He just said, casting all your care, all your anxiety rather, casting all your anxiety because he cares for you. And then he says these words. This is very interesting. We got anxiety, we got caring for, and now all of a sudden it's this word be, B-E. Anytime you see the word B-E, it means this, do this. Well, like do this. I think one of the lies going around in evangelicalism today, one of the biggest lies from the pit of hell is this, you do this external thing when you're six, you walk an aisle, you know it by now, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get wet, and then it's almost like, got that over with. I'm so glad that I can drag God around with me now. And the Bible is just completely against that ideology. The Bible over and over says that for the true believer, there are things that we must now do it's an outflow of salvation. We're not doing it for the salvation. We've truly already what? Intellectually believed. There's been an emotional response. The Holy Spirit's stirring and wooing in my heart and my mind. And now I give my life to Jesus. And from that, that's when the work actually begins. Because now we're on a mission not to serve self, not to live the American dream, which is really the American nightmare. No, here's the deal. We are now on a mission to go live for the king. God doesn't save people just to give them fire insurance. 
He saves people to go spread His message of redemption and regeneration that millions of people all across our country need today. And He says this, in the midst of your anxieties, because you're suffering and you're taking the arrows and they're coming from every direction, He says this, be, do this, be sober-minded. It means this, to be calm, to be clear-headed. You might think of someone who is sober. If you're not sober, you might say someone is drunk. If someone is drunk, they are not calm typically. They are not clear-headed. They're not thinking clearly. Peter's saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the believers then and true believers now, that in the midst of persecutions, and by the way, persecution is just not being executed on a cross, you can be persecuted for your faith, and some of you are being persecuted for your faith today. Your family has abandoned you. You're taking this Jesus thing a little too far. Some are going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to be persecuted They're going to revile you and say things slanderously against you. In the midst of that, we must be determined by the power of the Holy Spirit to be. Outflow. Outflow of true relationship with Jesus. I'm going to what? Be sober-minded. I'm going to think clearly. How do you think clearly? You be in God's Word. How do you think clearly? You pray intently. How do you think clearly? You be around the fellowship of the believers, true believers in Jesus that have done what? They've intellectually done the process, they've emotionally moved through it, and they've given their life to Jesus. And you surround yourself with those type of people that uplift you, that build you in the faith. But we just don't be sober-minded. We're to be what? Watchful. It means this, to be alert. Again, one of the schemes of the enemy is to get all of us to be spiritually asleep at the wheel, right? Cruise control, just shift her down a couple gears. When the Bible calls us to ratchet this thing up. And you see this so clearly when you look at this. Let me read this one more time. Be sober-minded, be watchful. These are the two things. In this instance, this act of preparing. The word, by the way, is not sober-hearted. Did you notice that? What's the deal about being sober-minded? Well, it's the battlefield of my mind, isn't it? My heart is already deceitful and wicked who can know it. So there's already a platform, a springboard, a predisposition in me and every person that's existed that we don't have to be taught to do the wrong things. We just default to them. But in the mind is where I make the decision. As I'm being renewed by my mind, what happens is I begin to think clearly. I see clearly but I'm also to be watchful, to be cautious, to be alert, to be intentional, to be urgent. You may think of not being asleep. Why? Well, think about this. Here's the why. 
your adversary. Did you notice he said your adversary? He's talking to true believers, and he's telling them, you've given your life to Christ, but you have an adversary. If you think you don't have an adversary and you are a true believer, you're only fooling yourself. The the enemy, if you're a true believer here today, and again, I pray everyone is, but if you're a true believer here today, the enemy hates you with a vengeance. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates everything about you, and the fury of hell is being released on you. What's adversary? Well, it goes back in the original, it goes back to a, an opponent in a, a lawyer battle, if you will, a courtroom battle, an opponent. Satan is not, he's not the little guy in the red suit, the pitchfork and goatee and funny eyebrows. He's real. And we always want to be cautious not to give him too much credit. But I think often we go to the other extreme, which is where he wants us to go. He wants us to think that he's just a little cartoon character. He's harmless. Even when you're under the blood of Jesus Christ, we know from Scripture right here, as I'm looking at it and reading it, it says here that your adversary... He's real, He's true in your life today. And, and if we're not on our guard if we don't understand what he can do, it's like studying your opponent as a football team. You study the opponent and you understand their capabilities. You understand your own vulnerabilities. You understand and you see this because if you don't, I've seen way too many people drive over spiritual cliffs. He's your adversary. He's the devil. It's the word diabolos. It's where we get our English word diabolical. Now think through this for a moment. So you're a true believer in Jesus, that you've given your life to Him. Your life's no longer your own. You have an adversary. He's not saying, hey, let me help you on your journey, but He's going to come at you from every angle imaginable. If He can't get to you, here's what He does. He gets the people closest to you to get to you. He starts working down the pecking order because He wants to destroy He's the devil, he's the diablos, he's Satan, he's the accuser. So think through this for a moment. Be sober-minded, be clear-headed, be watchful, be alert, constantly be looking out every angle, guarding your life, guarding your home, guarding your heart, guarding your mind. You're you're constantly on on the lookout for all his deceptions and his vices and his lies and his schemes. You're, You're looking out very vigilantly, and what happens, you see very clearly that we have this adversary, he's the devil, and here's where this gets really, really wonky. He prowls and he roars. You talk about diabolical. He prowls. He stealthily will slither in. He's kind of like water. When water intrudes, what does water do? (laughs) It finds any crack and crevice to make a home, doesn't it? And here we see very clearly that as he's prowling, he's also roaring. He's roaring because he's seeking. He literally is on this 
search and destroy mission to not play patty cake, to not play words with friends. He's looking to decimate you. And when you think through this thought, you see so clearly that as he's on this mission, this destructive power that he has, he's all under the sovereign hand of God, by the way. Remember Job? (laughs) Some of you pronounce it Job. Remember remember Job? Wouldn't you love to have been in Job's position? He's living this amazing life for the Lord. And God goes, hey, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? See, the suffering is always for our purification. It refines us. It pushes us towards Christ. There's a greater dependency, a greater fervency. When the furnace gets turned up, man, it's amazing how motivated we become, isn't it? There's this adversary for the true believer that he's prowling and he's simultaneously, he's roaring. He's going to seek to destroy and devour with destructive power because he's prowling in search of a victim. In search of a victim to trick, to bait, to seduce. Not just sexually, but to seduce. Boy, that looks so good over there. Fill in whatever over there is. It it just looks so good, and this is going to dull my pain and and fill the void of life because I'm hurting and I'm wounded, and i got to find something, and Jesus is over in the corner going, I'm over here. And yet there's this adversary. He's got the true believer in his crosshairs. Right in his crosshairs. And if we're not armed up for the battle, we will be devoured, not losing the salvation. He's talking more of here, of living a life here, because these are true believers, living a life of being not victorious. For the person who's not a true believer, however, the false conversion can and typically is exposed in these moments. It wasn't real. We were either on the path and the, the, the birds came and ate it. We were on the thorny where we got choked out to the cares of the world and the riches of the world. Or we were the rocky and soil and life got hard. And we're like, man, let's sign up for this. I'm out of here. But the ones who have given their life to Jesus truly will abide forever. Think about this for a moment. I made this note. I said, Peter is holding up a beware of roaring lion sign. That's what he's saying here. Beware of a roaring lion. You guys ever, maybe you're a parent or you're a grandparent, and you're pushing you know, Timmy or Susie along in the stroller, pushing them along and you see a fence that's violently shaking on the inside of the fence. And you notice there's a sign that says, beware of dog. And you hear the claws scraping the inside of the fence. 
And what do you do? Well, you don't throw the kid over the fence, right? That's not what you do. No, what do you do? You, you hightail it out of there, don't you? You, you flee. You, you run away. So often we play that patty cake with the enemy as he's stealthily wooing us in, seducing us. He seeks to discourage, to persecute, to influence, and tempt true believers. That's why courage for Christ is always costly. Courage for Christ is always costly. It will cost you dearly to be courageous for Christ in this culture. To be bold for Christ, it will cost you. Matter of fact, Alistair Begg said it like this. He said, if our Christianity costs us nothing, it's worth nothing, end quote. I mean, just think through this. I mean, if you, if you have not truly given your life to Christ, there's only one reality, and, and it's you're walking in darkness. I mean, you can rearrange the patio furniture on the Titanic, but it's still sinking. And that's often what we do, don't we? We just rearrange things. Let's make it look better on the outside. I got a better idea. Give your life to Jesus today. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. With that thought, I want you to write down this key number one in your notes. Key number one. All fully devoted followers of Jesus must constantly be clear-headed and on their guard because the enemy is not looking to injure you. He's looking to destroy you. Now again, let me say this very clearly. If you're a true believer in Jesus and it's real, and you will know if it's real, by the way, if it's real, you've given your life to Him. Your life is no longer your own. He governs you. You go where the Master leads. We are sealed for the day of redemption. The Bible says that very clearly in Ephesians. And by the way, for those who say, hey, I'm sealed for the day of redemption, let's go and partay. Well, if that's you, you don't understand what salvation really is. Because when you're truly saved, you don't want to go partay. Uh, why would anyone who's been rescued from the sewer want to go back into the sewer? Like your, your mind has been renewed. It's been, again, regenerated that you want to go live this life for the king. You don't want to live in that any longer. Therefore, when it's truly real, according to the Bible, it's truly real. And that's where we get into so much trying to unpack that people have been taught by, yes, pastors, not biblical salvation. 
It's not about walking an aisle, even though that we can do that to make a public profession. That's a good thing. It's about giving your life to Jesus. And so often what we do in the American church is we've created, unfortunately, at best, backsliders, and at worst, false converts. A clear mark of a true believer is the desire to go to war against their own personal indwelling sin. But again, the lie from the enemy is he wants you and I to think that he's this harmless little caricature that you read about in a comic book. If the devil is attacking you today, if he's attacking you today, if he's been roused, take it as a compliment. Because the enemy typically doesn't attack those that are already working for him. But he loves to attack those who are charging the gates of hell and not with a squirt gun. See, the reality is, is that you can be alone in the battle, and many of the warriors of the faith are alone, but they're not really alone because when it's you and God, you're always in the majority. Think about this thought from Romans. I alluded to it earlier, chapter 12. Write that down in your notes. Romans 12, 1 through 2, a famous passage. Perhaps you have it memorized. I pray you do. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal, Paul writes, I appeal, I, I urge you, I beseech you, if you will. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, do you see that? It's by His mercies, by His grace. We can't do this. Salvation, regeneration, the salvific work of true salvation. Salvation is by our God. Can't do enough to merit it by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, not a dead sacrifice, a living one, holy and acceptable. There's that word holy, pursuing holiness, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's part of our worship to God. Do not be conformed. Don't fit into the mold of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that data center, that, that ping-pong match that's going on up there, the circus between our ears, where all the decisions are being made, that by testing, proving to be true, you may discern, uh-oh, discerning very acutely, What's from the enemy and what's from the Lord? I'm discerning what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you notice here in verse 2 of this chapter 12 that verse 2 actually fuels verse 1? Verse 2 fuels and pushes verse 1. If I'm going to live in holiness... If I'm really going to pursue that, well, here it is. Do something. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the wide path that leads to destruction. There are many that are going in by it. Be conformed to Jesus and Christ alone in His hope that we rest in Him because that's the narrow way and few will find it. 
Jesus, narrow way, life, few. Our adversary, wide path, total destruction. Many go in by it. No, we see clearly that all fully devoted followers of Jesus must constantly be clear-headed and on their guard because the enemy is not looking to injure you. He's not looking to partially maim you. He's looking to destroy you. So look at verse 9. Here's our last verse. So, so in light of this, look at in verse 9, in light of that reality we just talked about of the enemy and the fury of hell that hates all fully devoted followers of Jesus. What else are we to do? Do we just stop there and be sober-minded? Do we just stop there and be on our watch? Is that all we do? No. Look at verse 9. He goes deeper. Resist him. What? Resist him how? Firm in your faith. Did you notice something, by the way? We had your adversary, and now we have your faith. Your adversary, your faith. Resist him in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What does it mean to resist? I guess if you're not resisting something, you could argue this, that we're giving into. The word resist means this, to literally stand up against, stand up in opposition to. Here the Bible says to stand up against him in opposition to. Don't be deceived into thinking, and I've heard this over the years from professing believers that we're, we're not in a battle. It, it doesn't even make logical sense, let alone biblical sense. Of course, the ultimate battle has been won, praise God. But while we're here on this earth, the Bible is replete with example after example of the battle that still goes on. And so often the battle is internal. There's an old phrase that if I win the war inside of me, I'll win the war outside of me. A lot of truth to that, isn't it? Because what we think on is what we act on. That's why we encourage people to fill your minds, fill your minds with the awestruck wonder of our great God. Just fill your minds with Him today, church. Fill your minds with Christ. Fill your minds with His glory. Fill your minds with His grace and His riches and His mercy. Oh, fill your minds today, church. And you'll see that your heart and your mind and your souls will begin to sing with joy in the midst of the suffering. And what a testimony to a world that's off the rails that when they see you being persecuted at the workplace, and they see you being persecuted inside your own family, and they see your heart and your mind and your soul that are singing for joy. What a billboard for the glory of God. They'll preach a thousand sermons right there. 
and to live for the King. Firm in your faith. How? How do you fight against the enemy in this struggle? In your own strength? That's what he wants you to do, right? He wants to tell you and me that, hey, John, you got this. You're good. You button this thing up on your own. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The only way that we can resist him is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, the true believer. The true believer has the Holy Spirit who indwells. We are now under the control. When you hear the word indwelling, the Holy Spirit, think about being under the control of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean you're running around the room doing cartwheels. It does mean this, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Well, we are governed again. Uh, Jesus is not our friend with benefits. We give our lives to Him. Total surrender, total abandon, knowing that we're going to take it on the chin, or we're probably going to be a human pinata at times, and we just press on. Why? Because we know the eternal consequences. We know the bridge is out spiritually, that we're willing to be that one that just takes the beating on behalf of the gospel, because we know that if people don't give their life to Christ, They'll be ushered into eternity forever apart from Him. And there aren't any do-overs. That's why we know confidently right here in verse 9. Resist Him, firm, immovable in your faith. Don't resist the devil casually. Don't do it nonchalantly. No, firmly. Be resolute, be immovable, but in your faith. And what should we ponder, church? What should we ponder when you look at verse 9 in front of you in your Bible? What should we ponder while we are enduring the attacks? What is Peter trying to tell us here by the power of the Holy Spirit? Listen to this last phrase. Knowing, very key word, knowing. Knowing, love this, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Knowing. It means this, there's a confident understanding and an intimacy. You know it. Like what happens if you're struggling uh, maybe a situation at work right now you're thinking of, and there's a struggle at the workplace, and you know someone else has been through that similar struggle. Like, what does that do for you? Not a trick question. Well, it, it encourages you, right? I mean, someone else has walked the road, and, but you just, you, there's some comfort in that. That's exactly what Peter's getting at here. Let me read it again, last part of the, the verse. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering... This mistreatment, that's what he's talking about. This mistreatment, the slander, the evil that's being said and done against these true believers. They're standing tall for the gospel. They're light in the darkness. They're the human pinata again. And it's kind of like, just know this. I can just picture Peter saying, look, here's a deal. He's like, look, I know the, the anxieties are there. It's, it's tempting to want to throw in the towel, to lose heart, to push the done button. He's saying, 
It's okay, though, because I, I need you to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit as He's speaking to these believers and to us today to be sober-minded, to be clear-headed, to be watchful, to be alert. The enemy's all around us. He's, he's seeking. He's prowling. He's roaring at times. He, he's looking to destroy. He, he hates Jesus. He hates Him. And He wants to take down anyone that professes His name. Peter's saying, look, here's the deal. All over the world, there are people like you, he's saying, that are suffering for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, don't lose heart. Rise up. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't lose heart. He's saying, rise up. He's saying, stiffen your spine. You know, that thought was boggling in my head all week long, and I made this key number two. And I encourage you to write it down. In the midst of the battle of suffering for the sake of the gospel throughout the world, fully devoted followers of Jesus are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the enemy. Let me read that again. Key number two. In the midst of the battle of suffering for the sake of the gospel throughout the world, fully devoted followers of Jesus are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist, to stand up against, to be opposed to. Again, it's by the Holy Spirit's power, but we're enabled to do that. We're under the control of. You've got to remember that the enemy is a bully. And bullies are really cowards. I remember this uh, years ago. I was uh, I was out in the neighborhood. This is many, many years ago. And a, a particular dog, as I'm going down the street, not in a car, on foot, began to chase me. And I thought to myself, and this was back kind of, you know, in the news back in that day, there was all these accounts of you know, crazy things with dogs, even though I like dogs. And so this dog begins to chase me, and I don't think he was looking to lick me. And so, said a few quick prayers, amen? Lord, give me wisdom and discernment. So I had this bright idea to actually turn around and chase the dog, which I found was very interesting, because the moment I turned around and began to chase him, what do you think he did? If you saw me chasing after you, what would you do? Be honest, you're in church, don't lie. That dog put its tail tucked between its legs, and he hightailed it away from me. I'm sure there's many morals to that story. But the one I took away was this, that when you resist by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate bully, the diabolos, the Bible says this, that when we resist Him, He 
will flee. I want you to think about for a moment again how the enemy attacked Peter in the Gospels. And now I want you to remember who's writing this epistle. Like, don't miss this. We talk about this very frequently. It's that old phrase, failure in itself is not the issue. It's what you do next that matters. Peter failed miserably. But God had His hand on Peter through His Son Jesus, and we see this so clearly. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like we, that he might shake you to the core. But I have prayed for you. Wow. That your faith, there it is, that your faith may not fail. And when, not and if, but and when you have turned again, go strengthen your brothers. Now, here's four words in Scripture that always make us sigh. Peter said to him, Peter's opening his mouth, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? We could argue the most pivotal night in history. Jesus goes, hey, you three, you come with me. We're going in deeper. I got some heavy lifting to do here. I got some heavy lifting through prayer. And I need you to hold my arms up in the battle. And once, not twice, but three times again, they're asleep. They're not watchful. They're not alert. Jesus says, watch and pray. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you see the connections here? <laughs> now Peter, I don't know if you, did you just catch that? Let me just kind of back up for a second. So Jesus is telling Peter, James and John, there it is, the bad news bears in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, watch and pray. And now Peter is telling these believers to be sober-minded, to watch, to be alert. Don't let your guard down, church. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't buy the lie that the enemy will somehow just ignore you as you run hard after Jesus. Don't do it. Because we know very clearly from James, which I just alluded to, write it down, James chapter 4, 7 through 8. Here it is, James 4, 7 through 8. Write this on the tablet of your heart. There, there's five keys right here quickly to these two verses. Here it is, James 4, 7 through 8. Number one, submit yourselves to God. There's got to be this submitting, and we've talked about this, being under the mighty hand of God joyfully, not begrudgingly. I'm going to submit to God, resist, stand against, be opposed to. We're to do this, by the way. We're, we're to do this. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And number five, purify your hearts. Not you double-hearted, but you double-minded. It's a mind that's torn between two things that we're either truly in or we're truly out. Because Ephesians chapter 6 says it like this, 10 and following. Finally, at the end, Paul's saying here, finally, I'm here in this prison confinement, most likely a house arrest, but still in this imprisonment. Finally, be strong, not in yourself, but in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He says, put on, do something, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may, here it goes, that you may be able to stand. You, you see the standing? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You may think that person that's against you is the spawn of Satan. The reality is you don't wrestle against them, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand. you get this? In the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation that protects the mind and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And all God's people said, you got to remember, a life that professes Christ, but that's lived in cruise control, needs to go back and examine their supposed salvation. If we've truly, if you've truly been bought by the blood of Jesus, there will be moments in the journey, I get it, been there, got the t-shirt. There'll be moments in the journey of desert dry experiences. I get it. But there will be an overarching narrative of a true believer that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, of a true believer that pursues holiness, of a true believer that wants obedience, a true believer that loves the Word of God and craves it and wants to get in deep prayer, intimacy with God, and deep prayer with one another. That's what true believers do. And that so often we see a different narrative. And yet for you that are being attacked for standing for the Gospel, the attack against you is not personal. When you stand for light, those that are walking in darkness hate the light. 
So they're really not attacking you. They're attacking the one who lives inside of you. We've said this before. We pray for those people. We pray for those people. For those people that somehow think they're in the club and they've actually went off the reservation. We pray for them. Because unless, unless they repent, I believe from Scripture there'll be many on that last day that they will proclaim, but oh God, we did miracles in Your name. We prophesied in Your name. Man, I was a pastor. I was a deacon. I was a Sunday school teacher. I did all these grand things for You. But if their heart has never truly been surrendered to King Jesus, He's going to look at that person regardless of status inside a church. He's going to look at them and say, depart from you. Depart from me. He's going to say, depart from me. Not that I don't know you now. He's going to say, I never knew you. I know how that should strike fear in all of us. Because you've got to remember the loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats. Boy, I remember that. I remember that uh, going to those old Buccaneer games when they were really, 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 really bad. I'd go there. You could show up on a Sunday afternoon, like one minute before game time, and you could, you know, there's a person sitting there chomping their gum at the ticket counter going, finally, someone's going to buy a ticket. And so I can only afford the nosebleed section. So I'd go up there and I'm literally like looking over and I could see the street. And it was amazing. It was just amazing because, man, as the Bucks are attempting to play the game of football, you notice I said attempting. Boy, it got really loud up there where I was. Boy, everyone was a loser up there, you know. The referees, the coaches, their families, the players, their families. But it was interesting, as I looked down in the expensive seats, no one's yelling at anybody. See, they're all fully invested in the mission through thick and thin. And all of us, yay, who's up on the top row? The loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats. So what do we learn today? Well, if you've given your life totally to Christ, the enemy hates you. Therefore, you must guard your heart and your mind and your soul on every level. The moment you let your guard down, he's going to slip in, promise you. And fight by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a true believer here today, if it's real and it's true, fight by the power of the Holy Spirit as you resist, as you stand against the enemy, firm in your faith, Knowing that all over the world right now there's people suffering for the cause of the gospel. Knowing that your labor for Him is never in vain. To be steadfast, to be immovable, always abounding in His work. To not grow weary while doing good because we'll reap a great harvest if we do not lose heart. Oh, we know the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We have a hope. We have a kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know under His sovereign hand that no matter what we deal with, it all flows through His hand. So it's gracious and it's merciful. We count it all joy. We rejoice in the midst of the pain because we know that our pain has purpose. And to God be the glory. Amen.
Oh, Father, we come before You today. and Lord, as we worship You, Lord, maybe there's one here today that's never given their life truly to You. So, Father, I pray by Your power, by Your Spirit, saith the Lord, oh, would You move and stir in this place. Lord, maybe there's one here today, maybe several that that are just hurting and they need prayer. They need encouragement. Lord, we would love to pray for them. God, one of my fears is that we enter this time each Sunday and if we're not careful, we get into a rut. Often it signals the conclusion to a gathering. Lord, I pray that this would not be a conclusion, but just the beginning. Holy Spirit, you move across this room today. I don't allow us to quench nor grieve. You're working, God, but we pray that you would move. And so, Father, I just simply pray, would you move in power in this time? That we'd surrender all, not some. For those that have given their life to you truly, that they would just keep on keeping on. For those who have never given their life to you, God, I pray today will be the day. We don't know what tomorrow's promised. We don't know. We don't have tomorrow promised. For that person today that's perhaps professed you, but the reality by your illumination today is that they've never truly given their life to you. What I pray right now would be the moment of surrender. Oh, Father, do a work as we open the altar, as we pray, as we seek your face, as we humble ourselves. Have your way with us today. Grab a hold of us, O oh God. Move in power. And to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.